We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. I'm Richard Wells. And I'm Robert Leininger. What? Uh, what? Who? We have a fourth person today. A fear change. Uh, today marks the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th on May 9th, 1980, even though there was a Friday the 13th in June. I think they were just trying to rush it out the door. Um, well, you want to get a movie ready, so it'll have a lot of talk, so it's ready by Friday the 13th. I think they just realized they were going to make a lot of money, and they wanted to put it out at the very beginning of the summer instead of waiting, because yeah. this is back when movies just hung out in the theater for the whole year. Instead, That's of right. true. But it's also like people always say, why, like for Halloween, why don't you release it on Halloween? Well, because November 1st, no one wants to see it. Yeah, yeah that's That true. makes sense, that you go a couple weeks in advance, but this this seems well a in advance. A whole month in advance, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was written by Victor Miller, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, and released by Paramount in the U.S., but Warner Brothers abroad. In 1972, director Sean S. Cunningham produced Wes Craven's low-budget exploitation horror film, The Last House on the Left. After the release and success of John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, Cunningham was inspired to make a slasher horror film that was both shocking and visually stunning. Cunningham and screenwriter Victor Miller met in 1977, making a low-budget Bad News Bears ripoff called Here Come the Tigers, which, as with this film, Cunningham directed and Miller wrote. This was Miller's attempt at a low-budget combo ripoff of Halloween and Meatballs. That's what Friday the 13th became. Really? Basically, there were two very successful films leading up to this. I mean, I don't see what it has in common with Meatballs aside from being a camp movie. Yeah, it's a camp movie that's with all it, camp That's counselors. all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it was young, just, sexy to teenagers. Yeah, it was a, it was a popular theme. As in our previous episode, we covered Gorp. Uh, that was another just attempt at recreating the magic of meatballs that just failed spectacularly. The first draft was called A Long Night at Camp Blood, but Cunningham suggested Friday the 13th and essentially decided the release dates of the second, third, sixth, and eighth sequels, as well as the ill-fated reboot in 2009. I, I, I always heard that it was always going to be called Friday the 13th, but they just uh, used that as a fake name during production and things like that. Yeah, I read that too. It was on the IMDb trivia that it, that it was a fake name that they used to keep people off the set. Right, 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 right. But this is the first installment to the franchise, and it was like a low-budget ripoff of another horror movie. So I don't think there was like a fan base trying to sneak onto the set. I don't think so either. So yeah, probably I'm, was I'm pretty sure it was just called A Long just Night of Camp title. Blood. Yeah. yeah, it had to have been, right? Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think they were trying to be like, oh, this is a secret project. Unless I, they thought they were so clever coming up with Friday the Thirteenth because it's never been done before. Well, they announced the title publicly before. That's right. They started shooting the film. We are currently in the longest gap between sequels in this franchise. There are twelve films total, and almost every year of the '80s saw the release of an installment, with the exceptions of '83 and '87. So a franchise that didn't exist at the start of the '80s had eight <laughs> movies by the end of the decade. Yeah. Friday the 13th, as an unlucky tradition, is likely a combination of the fairly common Triskaidekaphobia and the negative connotations of Fridays historically, like Black Friday, for instance. The, not the shopping Black Friday. But, <laughs> but like the, the concept of Friday the 13th being bad was a concept before this film, right? Right. The, uh, the first recorded instance of the combination of Friday and 13 
as Unlucky was in a 1907 book by Thomas Lawson called Friday the 13th about a stockbroker intentionally rigging the market to crash. So that's at least the first time that it was like recorded in an article or in a book somewhere. But it's possible that it existed even before that. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, even in movie history, there's a 1940 movie called Black Friday with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi. Yeah. That involves Friday the 13th. Even though Cunningham was the producer of several vaguely successful films, the best way he could think of to check if the title was taken was to put a full-page ad in Variety and wait for people to complain that they were advertising for a movie title that had already been used. Nobody complained, so they moved forward with the title. But after it came out, a previously released and moderately successful film called Friday the 13th, The Orphan, did sue the production. Um, <laughs> they settled for an undisclosed sum. Hmm. But obviously, Nothing. <laughs> well, I think they did get something, but it's dumb to expect people to come out and call you out before you make the movie because you have to wait until they've invested all the money in it right. and they can't go back and change the title, which is why people always complain like uh, the, the couple from The Conjuring, like they waited until the third movie was in theaters before they were like, hey, now wait a minute, that's our story that we have the rights to. And people well, are like, why did you wait till now? And it's like, because now there's three movies worth of money to get profit <laughs> yeah. from. Well, that's what's going on with Disney and Bill Nye the Science Guy right now. Is oh, that, they have the rights to the show? Well, Bill Nye is suing Disney for not giving him uh, residuals and money 25 years ago. And they're saying, well, why did you wait 25 years instead of bringing it up when it was happening? Because well, they have a the million dollars. Because <laughs> <laughs> Netflix canceled my show. In an earlier draft of the film, Ned, the prankster character, suffered from polio and had deformed legs but a strong upper body. Did you read that script? I did. Robbie Morgan was auditioning for the role of Jay Marsh, John Ritter's love interest in Hero at Large, uh, ultimately played by Ann Archer, when she was told by a casting director, Julie Hughes, that she was not right for the part, but she would be perfect for a camp counselor role in a slasher film, and she was on set the next day, uh, her only day on set, to play Annie. <laughs> Academy Award winner Estelle Parsons was very close to playing Mrs. Voorhees, but turned it down at the last minute on account of graphic violence. The famous k -k 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 -ma 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 is an abbreviation of Kill Her Mommy. <laughs> kill, 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 mama. <laughs> Which was recorded by Harry Manfredini and run through an echo reverberation machine. I've always heard that, and I listen as close as I can, and I never hear it. I heard it after Did I read really? that piece of trivia, yeah. Um, Manfredini made the decision early on that the music would only be heard when the killer is present. So in the remainder of the film, it's eerily silent. The movie was filmed at Camp Nobibosco <laughs> in New Jersey. The camp is still in operation and it has a wall of Friday the 13th memorabilia to honor the film that was set there. And they're having a 40th anniversary celebration this year. Um, right now, I guess, this episode is <laughs> dropping uh, on the 40th anniversary of the film. With some of the cast in person, or at least yes. Robbie Morgan. Yes, Robbie Morgan, there. who played Annie, will be there, and she said some of the other cast would be there. I'm sure some of the crew, too. Uh, New Jersey is also home to the towns of Haddonfield and Voorhees, which are about eight miles apart. Uh, the finished film caused a bidding war with Paramount's winning. Uh, Friday the 13th became the first indie slasher film to be acquired by a major studio. Wait, hold on. Back it up. The towns, were they named after the film? Before. For, for the film. So yes. did, did they use them in the script because of their names? Well, Haddonfield isn't in this movie. Haddonfield is from the Halloween movies. But yeah, and that's the town that I believe Deborah Hill, who produced and wrote Halloween, that's the town she grew up in, so they used it 
It might have been where they got the name Voorhees, though, for this movie. Okay. But they didn't shoot it in either of those towns, and they didn't shoot necessarily close to them, but they were in the same state. I, mm. I, I thought I read something that Voorhees was actually a girlfriend of someone. That, that could be, too. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, on a budget of a half million dollars, the box office came to about 40 million domestic and nearly 60 worldwide, without factoring international box office or the crossover with the Elm Street franchise, the first film remains the highest grossing installment of the Friday the 13th series. Really? Oh. Yeah. Adjust, adjusted for inflation? Maybe it is adjusted for inflation. It didn't Gotta say be. that in the piece of trivia, <laughs> but either way, like even if it, it isn't adjusted for inflation, like that seems crazy that none of them have done as yeah. well and that they've made I don't 12 think, of them. Yeah, I think it has the most money without adjusting for inflation because the other sequels... I mean, the only one that I think could give a give it a run for its money is probably the 3D one. Or Jason X. No. <laughs> I, I saw that movie twice in a row on opening day. So I've only seen... So I realized when I'm watching this movie, I hadn't seen it before. Oh, yeah? I thought I had, but I hadn't. Uh, I just knew enough about it that I, yeah. that I you know, knew what was happening. Um, but the only two that I've seen was Jason X and Jason versus Freddy. Or Freddy versus Jason. Oh, okay. Yeah. Freddy versus Jason's the best one. I was going to say, I actually really liked that movie. Are you just that because you like Freddy? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> of, of the slasher films, that's the only Freddy Krueger movie that I've seen. Oh, really? And I haven't seen any of the Halloween movies other than the uh, the remakes that Rob Zombie Oh, did. really? Yeah. I've seen... The original Halloween is great. Oh, it's in my top five movies of all time. But as a kid, we used to rent Friday the 13th like every weekend. Yeah, I think I, I told you before, uh, I've seen... I've seen every movie in all the series, but Friday the 13th is the one I know the least. Okay. Um, we start the film on the night of Friday, June 13th, 1958. The counselors are all singing a song together in a cabin, and we get a POV shot moving through a cabin full of younger kids sleeping. And I thought it was odd that the boys and girls are sleeping in the same together. cabin. Yeah, that is a little weird. You know, the POV shot, obviously inspired by Halloween. Right. But it's they take it to such a degree in this movie where, like, in Halloween, it's no one's really interacting with the camera. Where yeah. in this, it's, mm-hmm. like, full-on full scenes. Yeah, and you see hands and feet occasionally from yeah. the POV. Uh, a pair of counselors sneak off to an empty cabin to have sex, and the POV finds them there. And very quickly dispatches both of them, stabs the boy in the chest, and then chases the girl into the corner of the room where we get, like, freeze frame and zoom into her mouth. And then we dip to white, which is a weird choice. <laughs> I feel like that doesn't happen a lot, but it's that way in the script, too. I, we should mention, me and Robert went to the new art last Friday, which was a Friday the 13th. Except they started it on Saturday the 14th. No, they started it at 11.59 on Friday the 13th. They didn't start the trailers at that time? No, that's when they started the Q&A. But that was like oh. the event started then. Got, yeah. But uh, the Q&A began with a little bit of trivia. Yeah. And I won one of the trivia questions. So my prize was a copy of the script signed by by Annie, uh, Robbie Morgan, that was there at the screening. It's and, almost uh, like you cheated, though, because you did extensive amounts of research I was for researching podcast. for this, and hey. uh, then they asked me questions about it that I'd been researching all day. That's okay, though, because they asked some other questions, and not one person knew the answer, which, yeah. which I was really surprised about, because if this was Halloween, I would know the answers. Right. And if these are real big Friday the 13th fans, they should know it. Yeah, I thought it was really weird that, that everyone there didn't have it memorized. They came to see it at midnight. Yeah. on a Friday the 13th and with a cast member there. What was the question? Um, okay, so for example, the first question was, what day did it come out in, and where did it land in the box office numbers for the weekend? Okay. That guy was a super fan. Yeah, and that guy was the only other person who like 
seemed like he was had everything memorized he brought like posters with him to get signed <laughs> and everything but so he answered that one right away and then the second question was the one that i got which was what was the second question it was uh, which oh, movie which, critic right. uh, gave it a bad review spoiling the ending in the review yeah because he was angry about the film and uh it would seem obvious because the the first person who got their hand up and guessed guessed roger ebert and so, of course, the next person you would guess is Gene <laughs> Siskel. But the guy noticed that my hand went up as soon as the person said Roger Ebert. Right. Because I was the only person who knew that that person had it wrong already. And so he called on me second. And I said Gene Siskel and won the script. So I, I wonder if that person said Siskel and Ebert if he would have given it to her. I don't know. Were they a team at the time? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they were working together. But they, he asked for which critic so yeah. he asked for one critic and only one of them spoiled it in his review because Eber wrote for the chicago sun times i forget what gene siskel wrote for but it was a different it was a different column they just hosted their tv show together right but yeah and then the other trivia questions were what was the original name for the movie which i had read from the imdb trivia mm-hmm. one of them was what did the graffiti say in the bathroom stall and i leaned over to robert and i said i think it's 30 yards to the outhouse by Willie make it and it's 40 yards to the outhouse by <laughs> Willie make it but nobody even like raised their hand for that question yeah. and they had to ask it multiple times because people didn't even understand it and i was like nobody here has this memorized like i'm not a super fan and i was pretty close on it but i also watched it two hours before this screening so <laughs> but i i wonder because uh the guy asking the questions i noticed afterwards when i did some research all the questions are listed on imdb trivia was the that graffiti question was on there? I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, okay. So, so next I time wonder you if that... go to a movie. Well, screening. yeah, I'm am taking Addy to the midnight screening of uh, of uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, so I'm yeah. definitely going to read all the trivia before yeah, that. Yeah, you got it. I wonder how I would do without even reading. I know that movie pretty well. I'm assuming that um, that's like a regular thing that they do for their midnight shows with guests because yeah. he at the end was like, oh, and I want to give a special thanks to this copier place that copies right, all of our scripts right. for us and i was like oh okay so this is a thing that they do occasionally maybe yeah. i can get a copy of the peewee script signed by somebody so you want so you won the script because you had enough trivia questions correct or i just uh, they had three scripts oh okay so, so the first three people that got those that. answers got got scripts okay but the first guy also got a coupon to a restaurant oh yeah the diner the <laughs> 50s diner that's like across the street from the new art oh okay but um, I wouldn't want that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an early draft of the script? It's fairly early. It's not just uh, Victor Miller. So it's not the first draft, but um, it's a pretty early draft. It's It has the polio in it. So the, the guy has the, the, guy <laughs> has has the, the polio. deformed legs. No, no sorry. The, uh, which character had the polio again? Ned, who is the one that's, that's the, the prankster. Yeah, guy. the really annoying I was guy. say Roosevelt. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, so we've dipped to white uh, from the 50s, and we're coming back up in present day. They don't specify a year. Um, well, I, and I verified. Uh, it was like, it was like, did 1958 have a Friday the 13th in June? It's like, oh, it did. Yeah. And so did 1980. And yeah. so I was like, and just just to be safe, just in case, like, because they were film, probably filming it in 79. Yeah. I was like, 79 have? Uh, 79 did not. Not in June. It, it had two, one in July and one in April. Right. But they uh, specified that this is June 13th. Right. Um, Which is my grandfather's birthday. Oh, there you go. And he was born in 1980. 1933. Robert's very young. Hitchhiker Annie approaches a gas station and talks to a dog that's sitting on the ground. She asks the dog for directions to Crystal Lake, and the dog doesn't have directions for her. Uh, She moves into a diner nearby, 
and uh everyone seems appalled that she wants to go to camp crystal lake which they a couple of them refer to as camp blood um but they basically force a trucker to take her yeah i mean not that he seems so (laughs) upset about having to drive like a young girl to this camp but he's also trying to talk her out of it as she's coming out of the diner she is accosted by crazy ralph Good to Camp Blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. Who tells her about the death curse at Crystal Lake. And the trucker says, don't mind him, he's crazy. And then he grabs her ass, lifting her up into his truck. Crazy Ralph's not the only (laughs) one to accost her. (laughs) Yeah, but then as they're driving down the street, he's like, so everything Ralph said is correct. Uh, It's bad luck, there's a curse on the place and you shouldn't go there. And he's like, you just told me not to believe that guy and you're corroborating (laughs) everything he said. Um, we, we just like to hurt his confidence in front of him. <laughs> yeah. We like to make him think he's crazy. He's actually very observant. He's just gaslighting him. It's great. The, uh, the trucker tells Annie what happened 22 years ago, as though it just happened. He says that a boy drowned in 58 and a, a couple kids were, were murdered a year later. But he keeps saying, like, you can't go over there. These murders happened. And it's like, that happened a long time ago like <laughs> over 20 years ago i don't know why you're still harping on them like that's gonna happen right now well but he the, brings up like like the water's bad and yeah like there's all, been all fires things, but it's just like but that's all just stuff that happens yeah yeah but it, it kind of makes it seem like i mean maybe he didn't get so full into the story as to what was happening between 58 and 79 or 80 where maybe people were starting to prepare it again to open and Things were happening like a fire. That's like possible. Water being bad. Either way, he's he only mentions the murder specifically and a couple of fires that could have been set by teenagers or whatever. Yeah. But she's basically just mocking him here. The footage that we're getting back and forth that it's each of them like by themselves on their side of the car because they were not there on the same day because they shot all of Annie's stuff in that one day that she was on set. So there's the stuff outside the diner and inside the diner too. They were both there for. But this whole scene, she was sitting across from like the sound guy it almost looks like pov like well, like how, they're implying that this guy could be the killer like they're setting him up as a red herring well, that's what i was going to say about later in the movie yeah when she's talking in the car and it's a pov it doesn't make sense because the person driving would crash in a second they're never looking at the road yeah but so i think it's just a coincidence that the production required them to shoot it that way and it yeah. kind of resembled pov but i thought it was like <laughs> a happy accident that yeah. it resembled the way they were shooting from the killer's perspective at uh, at the camp Owner Steve Christie is uh, digging up a tree stump, and some counselors arrive and rush to help him. Uh, he quickly hands out jobs for all of them to do. They have, it's obviously, we're getting there on a Friday, and we have the two days of the weekend before people are going to start showing up on Monday. Is it two days? I thought they had two weeks before the kids arrived. Yeah, two weeks. Come on, let's go. I thought we had two weeks. When, when he's, but he's clearly rushing them to get all this stuff right. done. Right, yeah. But uh, Steve notices a pad of Alice's art including a sketch of himself while she's like (laughs) nailing up a rain gutter to one of the cabins. And he's like, oh, do I really look like this? And she's like, you did last night. It was like Jack drawing Rose. Yeah. Except super creepy. Yeah, but he's trying to flirt with her and she's like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to leave. I don't want to be here. And he's like, well, give it a a couple more weeks. And once the kids show up, I think you'll be happy. And she's like, okay, fine. I think I can can last (laughs) that long, I guess. And then he goes up and touches her face. (laughs) <laughs> um, so romantic yes it just my heart was a flutter um we get a quick pov in the woods watching alice run through the trees to ask bill if he needs paint uh, bill is like working on a dock and uh he says that he doesn't need paint but he needs thinner and that's kind of like the extent of this conversation yeah just to introduce this other character 
as like Jesse said, as I watched this, I realized I don't think I have seen this before. Oh, really? Um, I remember the last scene. Yes. But I feel like that's probably been teased in other films before. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that I feel like I might have seen the last um, the last scene because they they I feel like they flash back to that in oh, what some of the other movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Steve leaves the camp for supplies, so he basically leaves the kids alone to head down to town to collect supplies. And right after he leaves, Ned says, Oh, by the way, you never mentioned that everybody calls this place Camp Blood. He neglected to mention that downtown they call this place Camp Blood. Um, Brenda goes to set up the archery range, and Ned fires a shot, like, directly over her shoulder as she's pushing the the target up. That was horrifying to me. I'm just like, you never, never even raise a bow if somebody is standing in the field, like, by the targets. Like, don't even joke about it. And he shot one right by her. Savini fired that shot over her shoulder. Multi-talented Savini. I'm sure he was, like, right next to her, though. (laughs) Or just barely out of frame, but still not, not a... Not a good idea to do. Hey, are you wrapped for the day? Yeah, why? <laughs> it's like, well, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to shoot over your shoulder, but if I accidentally hit you, we're going to have to switch to shooting your death scene real quick. So just leave it in. <laughs> but uh, Annie hops in a Jeep for the last leg of her trip to the camp. She's still hitchhiking. She's supposed to be the chef. And the Jeep basically blows past the road that the camp is on very fast. And the driver is not saying anything, but we're seeing a lot of a lot more POV. But we never see a shot of the driver. Yeah, this is that weird part where how, how does the driver never look at the road? Yeah, and he ends up jumping out of the jeep into a ditch on the side of the road. It looks like a pretty painful landing. I'm not sure how they shot it, but she gets chased. They clearly don't have any regard for the actors in this yeah. movie. Yeah, but she does say that uh, Robbie at the screening said that she wasn't actually injured during her death scene. So. Right. Um, but she she jumps out. <laughs> this and, is the movie. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it injuries. seemed like she could have been hurt in that ditch, though. Yeah. Well, it seemed like she just jumped off of something. It didn't really seem like she was, because she she didn't really sell it so well that she had to like roll forward or backwards. She so. did roll forward. She does like a somersault forward well, on no, like she, asphalt she, on the side of a road. She did, but it, it didn't. For me, it didn't seem to really sell the fact that she was moving, uh, uh, jumping out of a moving vehicle. No, I agree. It doesn't. It, she's not moving at the speed that the car was just moving, but yeah. it still looks like she jumped into a somersault on on asphalt on the side of a road, and it would have hurt to do. Tom Savini probably trained her how to do that. So, so question: Would this be your reaction if if to someone run w- into the woods? No, no. Like if someone wasn't, you were in a car hitchhiking, and they weren't pulling over. It's like that's our turn. You missed it. You missed it. Oh, my God. And you jump out of the car. Yeah. It was, would that be your first instinct? Probably not my first instinct. Yeah, I don't know. But you got to remember, this is 1979 or 1980. And uh, girls being kidnapped by hitchhikers was a huge, scary thing at that time. But you also have to remember that she can see the driver. Even right. if we even can't. Though, yeah, yeah, we can't. <laughs> That's true. But what if it's just a scary old lady? She's not saying anything. <laughs> well, I and punch she her is in the asking face. her to stop. Yeah. yeah, like stop and let me out, and she's not. And which, which at that point, you you are clear that this person is threatening you. Yeah. Then you grab the gear shift. Yeah, and I was going to say it into reverse. I would either stop totally the car or or try and hurt this person that's driving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or stomp on the brake or whatever I could do. But yeah, uh, she runs limping into the woods after her somersault, and she can't get very far very quickly because. She's limping from having jumped out of the car, and very quickly she leans against the tree, and her throat is slit. Yeah, and this is a good effect. It's uh, Tom Savini that yeah. did that effect, and I, I feel like movies of the '80s they use so they used a lot of appliances and effects 
where today, I mean, maybe it's more realistic today, but it's more fun back then. And, yeah. And, yeah. and gorier. Like, you can yeah. see the wound opening. Like, I feel like you don't get that type of violence anymore. Yeah. And it was funny, too, because she was saying that the uh, the blood that he was using was, like, super dark and stained immediately, anything yeah. it touched. So they had to do this in one take because they were like, we, we can't even get it off of your skin. We don't have another outfit <laughs> for you. Well, it's not even the clothes. It's the skin. Is You're going to have a big blood splotch on your skin. And it's going to stain. We can't even wash that off. Wow. So I was sad to hear that, though, because this is a really cool shirt that she's got on. And <laughs> what was the shirt? I don't it remember. was just this, like, rainbow plaid shirt, button up. It was cool. Um, I was bummed. I was sad for the shirt. The you would have, you would have worn too. it. Yeah. I would have. I totally just framed it at that point, <laughs> even if it had a little, just a little blood on it. Uh, we get a POV watching flirty counselors sunbathing on a raft in the lake. The prankster pretends that he is drowning, and for some reason, everyone falls for it. Even though this is like his seventh prank, I feel like <laughs> this prank worked a lot better when the character had deformed legs. <laughs> I know. You know, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, it's weird though, because in the script. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't fake drowning. He fakes that he's choking, and he doesn't even get mouth to mouth out of it. Like oh, really? He, like they're just doing the Heimlich maneuver, and that's when he breaks. And he's like, "I'm just kidding." And they all get mad at him. <laughs> you can like, stop breaking my ribs now. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you just destroy my rib cage. Well, this makes so much more sense, though, in terms of the film. But also, if the guy's legs didn't work, I would be more inclined to believe, like, oh, it's possible he actually is drowning. Yeah, but I, yeah. I think in terms of it being. Uh, offensive, you know, that somebody sure, would yeah. pretend to be drowning, you know that that would be that would be right. more inter- that, that is more interesting than somebody choking in the film. Oh, absolutely! But the choking doesn't make any sense. But these are good counselors, and they all save the guy that's drowning. Yeah, so in theory, they should have been it. redeemed. <laughs> yeah, Alice finds a snake in her room. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my my notes for this part is are. The snack killing scene? <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> I was like, autocorrect, what did you do? Uh, this is horrifying. Yeah. Absolutely this, terrifying. This was a snake that they actually found on the set. Um, and for some reason, everyone rushes in to kill it. And the script is just Bill. But everyone rushes in here. They're all jumping all over each other to kill it. And then Bill takes the machete and slices the snake in half. A real snake getting yeah. sliced in half. Yeah, that's terrible. It's and, like uh, cannibal holocaust. I'm pretty yeah. sure that someone got up and left during the screening that we were in. There was a woman who really? was like, oh my God. Oh, I did and hear. And she got up and walked away. <laughs> I did hear I don't know if she comment. came back, but I thought she literally left. Now, didn't the guy say who was presenting the movie that in that initial script yes. that the killer put the snake in the room? Yeah, you get a POV shot of the hands putting the snake through the window into the cabin in mm. the in the draft of the script that mm-hmm. I have. Uh, but that's not how it happens here. So here it's just a coincidence snake. Yeah. But people were people people were upset that the snake got killed? Yes, because okay. it was an actual live snake that right. got chopped in half on set. Like people have snakes as pets. So Yeah. I don't know. I just Okay. Well, but have you ever you, seen You Cannibal weren't upset Holocaust? about that? What? I, no, I I don't like horror films. Okay. It's an awful <laughs> movie and I don't recommend anyone ever watch that, but they kill some real animals in there, one being a giant turtle, which is the most disturbing <gasps> scene I have ever oh, seen in my life. Oh my god. And I could get why people would hate that and hate that movie, but uh, and that's on the video nasty list too. That's in that. That's a category one video nasty. Well, I, that's, I just, well, that's an '80s movie though. Are you gonna watch that? Don't watch that. It had limited release in the U.S. in '85, uh, but it originally came out in Italy in 1980. Oh, okay. Well, we're not covering foreign films anyway, <laughs> unless it got a wide release in the U.S. and was nominated for something. It didn't involve awful things. Turtle murder. Yeah. Myrtle. 
<laughs> if you will. <laughs> and, and I will. And, and I, I just want to go on record that I'm not for live killing of animals. No, it's too late. We have it on recording. I, I, I just... <laughs> I just was like, like about the, like the things that get upset is like, oh yeah, teenagers getting stabbed through the neck is okay. That's but fake. Yeah, th- this, <laughs> this was a real snake that was alive. Snake was murdered in the making of this movie. Do you not know the difference between well, reality and? <laughs> no, but no, it's just that. But I've seen similar things in other movies, but people don't bring them up. Like uh, what? What movie like did you a, see? Where a chicken's it? head gets cut off in Willy Wonka. That's yeah, right. but that's chicken. Fuck chicken. <laughs> it's like, but I will say I don't eat snakes. But we're not I, reviewing that, right? But now. I will say, if I didn't know the fact about the snake, I would think it's a fake snake in the yeah. movie. It doesn't yeah. look that real. Really? It's moving. Yeah. I didn't know. Th- I didn't know that it was. I I didn't know that fact before I watched this movie, and I saw that, and I'm like, that's a real snake. They just yeah. killed a real snake. Really? It's moving before and after its head gets chopped yes. off. Yes. If and, if that was a fake snake, it would be super expensive. <laughs> yeah, not in this movie. <laughs> that's right. I guess. Um, a cop pulls up to the camp and uh, the kids all line up and offer to help him. They're like, well, what can we do to help before he says that he's looking for anyone, which I thought was scene. weird. Yeah. Why is this even in the movie? Uh, it's not Victor Miller's scene. And he's actually, that's his one complaint about the draft that was done after his involvement <laughs> is that he said, I wanted this to feel like the kids are in the middle of nowhere, nowhere near society. And then they have a cop pull up to just do like a check on everybody yeah that's um, weird but he's here looking for ralph crazy ralph disappeared and uh he's possibly dangerous and he's missing um, it, it reminded me of uh cabin fever sure like, yeah you're the party man <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh alice finds ralph in a pantry all of a sudden he's just been standing in the dark in a pantry for hours and he just approaches her and warns her again that there's a death curse on the place and they're all gonna die and then he runs off you know he rides his bike. Yeah, <laughs> he he's so like like uh like like energy and health conscious. Like he's like I'm gonna ride the bike. I'm not taking yeah. a car out here. I don't know that crazy Ralph has a driver's license. He definitely does. Uh, <laughs> uh, closing the cabin door here. I just noticed it sounded like a girl screaming. I don't know if that was like. Really? Yeah, I'm, I will. I'll include the clip in the podcast, but it it sounded like. <laughs> As the door is closing, and I was like, that's probably a happy accident, but it just reminded me that I was watching a horror film. Um, Suddenly, the light bulbs aren't working. Jack says he's going to go fix the generator, and then Ned makes fun of him like, Don't you love that macho talk? Emergency generator. What does that have to do with being macho? (laughs) So he goes and he starts the generator. There's no point to the scene, because in the script draft that I have, Jack is very nearly electrocuted by the generator because he's standing in a puddle next to it. They don't show the POV from the killer's perspective of like dumping a bucket of water near the generator, but I think the implication is supposed to be that the person, whoever the killer is, we have no idea, is uh, <laughs> setting up accidents for these people to fall prey to. Yeah. Jack doesn't die here. So are we to assume that the, the, the mainline power to the camp has now been cut? Um, possibly. Ned enters an abandoned cabin looking for anyone, just kind of wandering around. He thinks he's hearing people talk. Um, Jack and Marcy decide they're going to walk along the lake, and uh, a combo of the sound effect for the thunder and the storm. flash of lightning, which is like weirdly yellow and lingers for too long, made me think that this was supposed to be an explosion that happened. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's just lightning. Speaking of the lightning and thunder, I did think they did a pretty good job of delaying the thunder, which movies don't tend to do a lot of the time. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'd, I'd have to look for that again. I wasn't paying that close attention to that part. Uh, Marcy tells about a dream that she had about blood raining and like pooling in rivers and 
it's like this very abstract nightmare that she had a recurring nightmare about blood and apparently all the actresses that read to audition for the film for any part had to read that monologue as a part of their audition hmm. marcy and jack get out of the rain into an empty cabin to have sex bill brenda and alice start a game of strip monopoly back in the cabin by the way the sex scene i felt a little uncomfortable <laughs> watching that <laughs> with marcy and jack yeah i don't know there was something weird about it like is it the body that's above them <laughs> <laughs> well there's that <laughs> No, 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 that was but, normal. But, you know, that that's another thing uh, about movies of the 80s. You get really long, lingering sex scenes, which you don't really get today. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> um, hey, quick funny side story on this was uh, I was watching uh, The Name of the Rose with Sean Connery and Christian Slater. I, I had seen when I was probably too young to see it and wanted to refresh it. So I'm watching it with my dad, and there is a very long gratuitous sex scene with Christian Slater and a young woman. And it's just like, this is going to be done soon, right? Why is this going on for so long while I'm watching this with my dad? Uh, that's, and how, like, that's how I felt watching the Terminator with my parents. You're like, oh, oh man, this is terrible. You shift in your seat and you accidentally hit back and it starts the scene. <laughs> um, Marcy gets up from the bed to go pee. And Jack is very quickly stabbed through the neck from under the yeah. bed. This is a good kill. It is. It's awesome. Looking. Probably besides the ending this is the most famous kill of the movie yeah and not just because it's kevin bacon but right. because it looks great yeah it really does can we talk about how the one girl's cheating at monopoly i did not notice that oh my goodness what I was is she so, doing i was so She's mad sneaking money or something no she the first dice roll she goes double sixes i get to roll again she rolled a one and a two <laughs> did she i didn't notice that <laughs> i was like that's not double sixes. Well, it depends on which side of the dice you're looking. Oh, at. that's true. It's the, the face down <laughs> side. Yeah, they're playing. Yeah. They're playing western dice. <laughs> Whatever's pointing west is the it's, number. It's probably funny because it was probably just in the script. Double sixes. I go yeah. again, and no matter what she rolls, that's what she was gonna say. Yeah, the, don't like, worry. The film can't pick it up. Yeah, it did. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think? People are gonna have 4K televisions in the future, yeah. sweetheart. This We're was a done. really nice transfer. They didn't even have an idea of home video. Nobody's gonna watch this again in the theater. In the 80s, I think they were starting to get down with the idea of home video but still it was going to be vhs or video disc well it's funny i was talking about that today about in empire strikes back how there's a close-up of luke skywalker's lightsaber and it says like made in new york on it because you could see the that it was a a flash bulb on an old camera that they used to make the lightsaber yeah and they probably just figured oh no one's really gonna see that no one could go back and zoom in on it and of course everyone can now but now it's an Easter egg that reveals that it didn't take place a long, long time ago. That's right. It's actually in the future. And in our galaxy. That's right. Well, we don't know where it takes well, I guess place. That's true. Uh, Marcy looks around for the source of some sounds for a while, and then she takes an axe to the face, which is another really solid makeup job from Tom Savini. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the way all of these kills were shot. Like they're I just I just feel like it's it's pretty unique and special they it's it seems like they aren't super gratuitous in a way that i think horror films are now like a lot of them like the kill happens and then we cut we cut to them already having it happened to them yeah. you know so like they there's a you know there's the the camera zooms in as if they're being attacked and then we cut to them already yeah the having, aftermath the yeah. aftermath yeah having been killed and i just i really enjoy that it's not these like lingering gratuitous things but they are visceral yeah but then the stuff the stuff that you do see is uh you know pretty graphic and fun like f fun fun violence yeah 
Eighty um, smilings. <laughs> yeah, eighty smilings, exactly. Nothing says fun like stab through the neck with an arrow. Uh, the door to the strip monopoly game pops open from the storm, and uh, the girls basically just abandon the game here. They were just about to have to get naked, and they're like, "Up, oh, time to go. I gotta go." By the way, at the screening we went to, the grand prize was strip monopoly. Friday oh, the thirteenth. Yeah, edition. The, for the last question of the trivia. Yeah. yeah. Which was just the Monopoly board that they made their own strip Monopoly version yeah. of. Um, I'm pretty sure that guy that was hosting the Q&A made it. I know. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean, made it strip Monopoly? Like he stuck a post-it note on it that said strip Monopoly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and okay. other various illustrations all over the board. And it says like Friday the 13th on it. Yeah. Okay. But it's clearly just a modified Monopoly board. Uh, Steve settles his bill with Sandy at a diner. Um, this older waitress that he's just flirting with. And she's like, oh, you shouldn't go out in that storm. And he's like, oh, I got a bunch of kids out there. I got to go help them. So, um, but he, his car ends up breaking down on the way back to the camp, but he gets a ride with a cop. So the writer who was upset about the previous cop, did he write this cop in there, you think? I don't know. So I wonder if he'd be upset even with a cop getting that close to the camp. Yeah, because even that cop doesn't take him the whole way there because no. the cop gets a call about a fatal accident and he's like, get out here and walk the rest of the way, asshole. <laughs> Isn't it kind of strange that his car... Bre- like, it seems like a bad coincidence because and how could you anticipate or how could the killer plan for his car to break down halfway back to the camp in the pouring rain? Did the killer plan for that? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think it matters uh, if his car broke down or not. But, I honestly think but the only reason... It, but if he made it back with a working car, that changes things. It does, but she could have just taken care of it at that point. Does, yes. does it change things? I don't know. I just think having a working vehicle there changes things. Well, he would have had the keys to the lockers with the guns and whatnot. Because uh, you got to keep a lot of guns at a kid's camp. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole arsenal. In case arsenal. they get out of line. <laughs> well, well, Okay. I, I agree with keeping weapons. Those are bears and, 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 and lions. <laughs> and snakes. But like Tigers, a, oh my. But like a gun for every kid at the camp? Yeah. <laughs> One gun for each this kid. This is America, <laughs> Robert. Well, in, in the script, there is an archery range and a, a rifle range. Oh, really? So, yeah. But I, I honestly think the only reason for the car to break down is so that he can have a conversation with another character about the history of Friday the 13th. And be like, oh, it's unlucky. That's right. You know, and well, did it's, you, it's also a full moon. And Well, did you read that uh, when they were initially making the movie, they said, there's no mention of Friday the 13th in this whole movie. We have to mention it somewhere. So they added that line in. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Brenda reads a book in her bed, and she hears a high-pitched voice saying, Help me. The scariest scene in the movie, I think. Yeah. It repeats it a few times, and she follows the voice out into the rain, and uh, she wanders into kind of the middle of the archery range when all the lights turn on, and she's freaking out and starts screaming. Bill and Alice are back in the room where they were playing Strip Monopoly, and uh, they decide to look for Brenda together because Alice doesn't want to be alone at this point. They move to her cabin and find a bloody axe in her bed, which is the one that was in Marcy's face earlier. (laughs) They go to leave in the car but it's dead which is what i assume would have happened to steve's car if he had brought yeah, it back. fair enough the cop tells steve that it's a full moon and on top of that it's friday the 13th and it you know makes people go crazy and commit all sorts of insane crimes that's when he gets the call about the fatal accident and he makes steve walk the rest of the way the pov follows someone they stab steve near the camp sign so somehow the killer got all the way back out to the sign at the at the edge of the road and killed steve right as he was arriving at the camp Alice wakes up from a nightmare that she was having, and she's screaming for Bill. 
And then she gets up to make some coffee when she realizes, oh, the lights are out. He's probably working on the generator. Oh, uh, did we kill the person that was on the archery range? We, we don't know yet. We just saw her screaming. That was the last we saw of her. Oh, okay. But we will see her again. Yes. Um, right here, isn't it? Uh, well, not quite yet. Okay. <laughs> um, she finds another body first. Okay. Uh, she heads out to look for Bill, and she finds him stabbed to the door in that weird position. And uh, it's just a bunch of arrows that have like pierced him to the door of this cabin, and she starts screaming. She runs back into the cabin where they were playing the game, and she ties the door shut like she first she throws a rope over the top yeah. of the rafter and i thought she was gonna like reverse epstein kill herself <laughs> um but then she pulls the rope down and ties it to the door handle but the door opens out it does but it, it she was making it tight enough so it could only go so far so i don't think she so was far. though because if you like the rope doesn't she was scared be generous well, she's okay she was scared i'm just saying that this would not have prevented the door from opening it right <laughs> right the door opens out and she also piled a bunch of crap in front of it which yeah. is not going to help that's... a door opening out at all. yeah we call <laughs> that a lebowski <laughs> but they do but she does do that so there's an obstacle to give her a few extra seconds uh, sure, to prevent whatever. her from getting out of this building <laughs> exactly because there's the only way in or out right there's definitely there's no windows there's not a ton of windows in this place <laughs> or anything um so once she feels like she's got this door sufficiently barricaded, a body comes flying through the window, which in the insert is actually just Tom Savini wearing a dress. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's the body uh, supposed to be? It's Brenda's body. So this is the woman who was on the uh, on the archery range when the lights came on. This is is she alive? Time. No. She's okay. Because I, I know I, she, I know she's just pretending to be dead. But like the little movements. No, they killed her on set. Okay. It's the same, the same as the snake, no, no, but I'm well, sure it doesn't bother no, you. It, the same thing happened with the guy stabbed to the door, though. Like you could, if you watch him, he moves just a little bit. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. The makeup was dripping into his eye and there was like a chemical burn that was happening. Oh and he couldn't help but like tense all the muscles in his face while mm. it was happening. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Brenda's body comes through this window. Alice freaks out and then has to climb over all the shit that she piled up against the door <laughs> to get outside and runs headlong into Mrs. Voorhees, uh, this older woman who just pulled up and is standing next to the side of her car. And uh, she enters the cabin with, with uh, Alice and looks around. She's like, oh my God, these poor children. Oh, I, I don't know if you know the story about uh, there was a, a boy that drowned here and then a couple of counselors were killed later. They say that uh, he just drowned, but I think that the counselors weren't paying enough attention to him. And we're getting, like, POV from her of... She says she was a chef. Or That sounds familiar. She was working at the camp as a chef, and we have these shots from her perspective of her son drowning and saying, help me, help me, and yeah. she's complaining that none of the counselors were there. But it almost feels like she blames herself and is taking it out on these other counselors because mm. she was there and watching him drown, yeah. and he was saying, help me, when he was drowning. She's like, I just had to cook food for all of you. Yeah, I had to make stew. I can't be keeping my kids from drowning. <laughs> and so the next line is she mentions that it's his birthday today. Yeah. So. He drowned on his birthday. Yeah, well, Wait, Jason is the same birthday as my grandpa? It, it's <sighs> June 13th. Is Because it's it's June and it's Friday the 13th. So it has to be June 13th. Right. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, he says it's his birthday. So. But does she only do this on June 13th that are Fridays? Well, 58 or, when she killed those two counselors was a Friday the 13th. But was it June? Uh, Yes, I think I have that that it was. Because there's only like 14 different okay. calendar combinations. So she only does this on Friday the 13th, but her son's birthday wasn't a Friday the 13th. 
Because the son drowned a year before 58. Correct. In 57 on the 13th. Yeah, I don't think Friday the 13th means so much to her. I think she'll just do this whenever someone is at the camp. Okay. Oh, I I assume that she does it every June 13th. She waited specifically a year to kill the counselors that she so? felt were responsible. I think I think the the actual death date has a significance to her. The June thirteenth. I mean, yeah, it's yes. her son's birthday. Friday no, it, is irrelevant, but <laughs> okay. no, June thirteenth is the date. Yes, June thirteenth does have relevance, but I don't think she holds holds off killing only for that day. I think she does. You think so? Yes. I think she probably kills on other days, but then in her mind, Jason takes over on June thirteenth. Well, uh. I guess we don't know. <laughs> we don't know when. Jason died in 57. We just know when the counselors were killed in 58. Right. Was on his birthday. So maybe she was just like, I'm going to use his birthday as the day that I avenge him. Yeah. Maybe. We'll have to ask her. <laughs> it's like the end of uh, uh, Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah. Okay. Let's go ask her. <laughs> <laughs> Alice knocks her to the ground and rushes to a haunted house ride of her friend's corpses. Like every time she turns a corner, a body comes falling out of a branch or, and and she keeps like, this is where the movie really started to lose me in the sense of like, knock her out, run to another location, knock her out, run to another location. Well, yeah, it's, um, now that we've revealed who it is, she can't possibly overpower her. And she's so dry. She's been killing in the rain all this time. Yeah. But maybe she wore a costume. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees starts speaking in the high-pitched Jason voice that she used to to lure the other girl out into the woods. Do you find that female monsters or killers are scarier? I I always thought so. So I started looking this up, and and maybe you have a better idea than... Because I wasn't finding a lot of research on it. I feel like this is the first time we have a female killer that we are surprised at the reveal is a female killer because the only female killers I could find in films before this you knew the whole time that it was a female killer what about the Christmas movie we watched Black Christmas no, no. no. to all a good night to all a good night okay that was this year <laughs> yeah it was this year but it was prior to this it actually it... came out it was supposed to come out at the end of the previous year of 79 mm. hmm. okay but aside from those two <laughs> right Damn it. Well, I have to think about it. That's a that's a conversation we're about to have here. But so uh, Voorhees slaps the shit out of Alice, um, <laughs> who just continues to kick her away. Um, Alice sits down and waits by the lake, thinking that she's killed Mrs. Voorhees because the last time she knocked her over, there was blood under her head. Yeah. Considering that this woman has just gone and overpowered many men in this camp it seems weird that she is so easily taken out by this this girl well alice knows taekwondo but that's the thing about all these movies once the killer is revealed they're They're all of a sudden human yeah she sits by the side of the lake and looks at her reflection in the water and impossibly sees a person sneaking up behind her (laughs) (laughs) she would just be seeing a reflection of the sky yeah Um, and the sky in that direct in the direction away from yes. her not just but well, uh, there's a wave that angled it, <laughs> it was just perfectly <laughs> curved she's like oh my god that's the perfect wave oh it's mrs Voorhees. <laughs> it's so formal do you have a first name um funny but, you mentioned that they don't mention her first name in the movie yeah they do in a later film it's yeah. it's pamela or something like that yeah uh, uh, but uh on a tombstone yeah and at the last second before she's gonna get hit with this machete from Voorhees, she she pulls up the oar for this uh, canoe that's sitting there on the on the shore. 
and the <laughs> machete chops the ore in half and the two of them fight for a while the machete is knocked loose and then alice picks it up and slices off mrs Voorhees' head completely at the neck and the head flies off into the lake and her hands just reach up and grasp for the missing head <laughs> think it would really happen like that no no <laughs> for sure not um the machete would stick into her neck about two inches. <laughs> I know. She'd be... have to be swinging at like helicopter speed. I know. Yeah, from my experience of chopping off heads, it's yes. definitely not how it goes. But Alice decides to row the canoe to the middle of the lake so she's safe from this headless corpse. Mm-hmm. But she has to row herself with her hands because the oar was just destroyed. So she's just like paddling with one arm lamely out into the middle of the lake. And then we fade to the next morning as cops are pulling up to the lake. And she is relieved to see them, and she starts to rise up in the canoe. And then at the last second, Jason comes lurching up out of the lake, pops up behind her, throws an arm around her neck, and pulls her backwards overboard into the lake. The greatest scene of the movie, one of the best jump scares of all time. And it was Tom Zavini's idea. Well, I've heard lots of controversy on that. There's three people that claim to come, to have come up with that idea. Right. But Tom Savini's the one who gets interviewed the most. I so. know. <laughs> <laughs> He's Plus the one who Tom takes Savini, credit the loudest. Do you have any confirmation? It feels like... Was that was that in the original script? No, because it not. feels like it was added on. The hospital scene you're talking about. Or the whole jump scare. Well, both. I am not. I don't know what the, first, what the original script looked like. Uh, in was the original your, script, Jason script? doesn't pop up to kill her. No. I, yeah, because I felt like this... And, so the, the pop-up and pull her in, as well as the... Uh, hospital scene were tacked on the end because I feel like they thought hey we just killed our killer we need a way to keep this going well I I I was reading some stuff that they never even even with this scene added on they never really thought about sequels or anything like that yeah to me I think someone was very highly influenced by Carrie and Carrie had that great jump scare at the end. That's what, that's what Savini said inspired his pitch of this moment. I see. But then the following hospital scene, we, we cut from her having been pulled overboard into the water to her waking up in a hospital surrounded by doctors and police who are telling her everyone's dead. And then she says, what about the boy? Did you find the boy? And then they're like, we didn't find a boy. We, everybody there was dead. We thought you were dead too. Um, And then she's like, Oh, then he's still there. And then we cut back to the lake and like they got this. It seems like it was just a lucky shot of like bubbles kind of rising from the water in the middle of the (laughs) lake to imply that like someone's in there breathing still. But you see bubbles like all over the surface of the lake. It's just something that happens naturally. Yeah, but it was it was a perfect shot. Yeah. So uh, do you think I guess imagine there weren't any sequels. But do you think they intended that to be a dream or that really happened to her? I I thought that they implied that she imagined it. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask if the implication here is that she's the suspect in these murders. That's what I would have concluded as the police coming to this, you know, camp full of murdered bodies. And you're just like, no, no, the old lady whose head is chopped (laughs) off there. She did this all. chopped her head off. (laughs) Well, I did, but I didn't do the other ones. (laughs) Well, what's funny also is that, you know, they slightly mention, you know, what happened at the camp at the beginning of the movie. But the whole thing with Mrs. Voorhees and Jason just kind of comes out of left field like here's this whole entire backstory that we're going to tell you in in two minutes at the end of the movie and if that was and if she told the cops that same story it would be like well how are you even involved with that story like 
it just doesn't it's weird to me. I, I mean, the story would check out if they were like, oh, that woman was an employee of this camp and her son did drown here. Well, that's true. And so I guess, so she, yeah, she could the, tell The motive that. checks out at the very least. Yeah, that's true. But that doesn't make clear that she's the person who killed all these other counselors. Yeah. And there would be questions about how did this, you know, 60-something-year-old woman uh, attack all these 20-year-old guys by herself? Unless they're like, hey, w- you probably saw that story down at the library. You came yeah. up with a good alibi for yourself. Planned it just to murder all these people. <laughs> um, but yeah, according to Tom Zavini, at least, that last shot was his suggestion yeah. because he had just seen Carrie and he wanted a chair jumper moment for the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and screenwriter Victor Miller was very disappointed by Jason's resurrection in the sequels as a villain because he was only ever meant to be the victim of this story. Right. Um, which I think is points in the column of she imagined the kid jumping out of the lake because mm-hmm. that changes the kid from being a victim to being the attacker. Now, why do you think Tom Savini uh, designed little boy Jason to have that strange looking face? Like, it, de- it doesn't really add much to the story that he looked weird. He looked weird before he died, though. Exactly. But why do you think that was? Because he was supposed to be like he's like An the outcast. kid that's left out that nobody cares about. And but, it's part of the counselors not paying attention but to But was that thought out for this movie or was well, it just supposed to be like he was decayed body? I don't know that he specifically had body? a weird face. No, I think he was supposed to be just, yeah, having left in the lake for so long. No, at the, no, when he's the deformed. flashbacks, when he's drowning, he had a weird oh, face Yeah, too. he looked like that in the, in the flashbacks too. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I think that it's interesting that then in the sequels we come back and he's a full-grown man whereas in this scene right. he's a boy so i feel like this must be a you know an imagined scene yeah that's true but yeah i think that people probably do age and can't breathe underwater <laughs> <laughs> well i'm just Sounds... saying if we bring him back as the killer and we're implying that he's a full-grown man this is that would be right after this has happened so he's not a boy here what if this is a sequel to the shape of water <laughs> <laughs> Like when they let the fish guy away, he ate a child at a summer camp. This is the child that they had. Oh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, A 2009 remake was produced by Michael Bay. And Um, it's a remake that encompasses the first three films. uh, First four, apparently. Four, really? Yeah. Um, It was directed by Marcus Nispel, who was the director of the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which I hate. Um, (laughs) I didn't like it either. Yeah, Uh, and... Anytime you hear Michael Bay, I get excited. It's like, oh, Michael Bay's doing a thing? Oh, that's great. Oh, he's producing, but he's not directing? Keep it away from me. (laughs) It's automatically bad if he's just producing it. If it's just like the teenage space ninja aliens, and it's like, why why did you make them not what they were before? But then he had to like go back and change it all. Yeah, his his horror remakes have not been great. You know, it's funny because like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that... At least in the horror community, lots of people love that movie. I think it's the first one yeah. or the remake. The remake, they think it's a great remake, and no, I, I think it's awful. They're, they're no. incorrect. Yeah, the first one's great, but and so the Jason is the predominant villain of the 2009 Friday the Thirteenth remake, and that was Derek Mears playing the part, and he's wearing the hockey mask, which didn't show up until like the third or fourth film. Yeah, third movie, and uh, it's actually made from the same mold as the mask that they used in the third film. Oh, yeah? But I want to talk about To All a Good Night a little bit more. Because I want I want some answers here. I don't Somebody, even know what this is. This is a horror film that came out on January 30th of 1980. Okay. And it's basically House on Sorority Row. They're playing a prank on a girl. The girl dies. And uh, 
a couple years later her mom comes back to avenge her dead daughter but in that movie she's wearing a, a santa costume for all of the murders uh-huh and it's actually technically both of her parents uh killing everybody right. but uh, most of it is focusing on the mother in that movie we have a crazy Ralph character who is like another seven foot tall, like retarded guy That's who just true. keeps jumping out and telling everyone <laughs> that they're, that they're going to die trouble, yeah. and that there's a curse and that these people need to like pray because they're going to get killed. We have a bunch of girls and guys sitting around a fireplace at night with a dude strumming a guitar from the same angle as we got that shot in this movie. This That's less true. of a coincidence. Yep. Uh, the killer is the mother of someone who died there years earlier, wearing boots and gloves to disguise her age and gender throughout the attacks. The older woman killer is no longer able to fight once she's revealed herself. And another typical horror trope, but we wait until the people decide we have to call the police to show the line cut on the outside of the building, <laughs> which happens true. in both films. But I think the more stunning coincidence, aside from the mother avenging a dead child and that being the surprise at the end that the mother is the killer. Mm -hmm. The fact that there's a crazy Ralph who's telling him, like his name is Ralph too. Is it really? Yes. 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 Like it just seems like too much of a coincidence. Like, I don't know. Like this... somebody from one set heard about the other set shooting at the same time and like borrowed stuff. But it's also one of those things that, you know, some things are just like, in the zeitgeist of the time yeah. like this is what this is what ralph is just what crazy ralph is what a crazy person is called in 1980 you know and that's and and the concept of a woman avenging a child in a horror film was just it, it was its time but that that this i think as far as i know to all the good night is the first example of that happening where it turns out that it's the mother of the victim coming back to kill all the people that she feels are responsible so it's just weird that it came out six months before five months before friday the 13th and just it beat weird. it to the punch barely it's it's not a capably made film and the script is mostly garbage which makes me think that like someone there got an early draft of friday the 13th and was like this sounds amazing i'm gonna rewrite it in two days as a different story make it a christmas and make, movie and make it a and christmas then sit movie sit on it until january <laughs> yeah and we're gonna beat them to the punch with this well did you google it uh, there wasn't anything. Hmm. I mean, there's there's no clear argument that, oh, yeah, the, the screenwriters were roommates and one of them was a jackass. But are people <laughs> making the connection? No one's seen To All a Good Night. <laughs> <laughs> it had nobody in it. it. Jennifer Runyon is the biggest name in that movie. And she was... Oh, I know she, her canyon. Yeah. Her canyon is very popular. Whoa. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> I don't know her canyon then. Um, <laughs> she's, uh, she's in Ghostbusters. She's the girl at the beginning. Is it a star? It is a star. Oh yeah, yeah. She's yeah. The, she's the most famous person in that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, speaking of that, about Ghostbusters, it's funny because she's only credited as girl in Ghostbusters, yet uh, uh, Peter Venkman calls her Jennifer. Yeah, because that's the actress's name. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just talking to the, he's just hitting on the actress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, changes from the early draft that I have. Um, the POV uh, before the killer is revealed is referred to as the Prowler throughout the script. Mm. Um, the shape of Halloween. Yes. The Prowler loses her pinky finger in the 1950s attack in the story. And so later on in the film, we get clues that when we see a person missing a pinky, oh, this is the killer. But it's always in, like, you, you never see the person head on, so you don't identify yeah. the person. Right I was away. reading about that, and they didn't do that because it was too hard of an effect to pull off to make someone lose their finger. You sure. can make their head disappear, but not a finger. Yeah. That's just crazy. This was a line that I really liked from the from the script. 
Suddenly, from between two parked cars, pops Ralph, a crazy hobo who has two dead rats in his mouth. (laughs) Their tails in his teeth, they swing from him like a strange beard. (laughs) I just like that line. I wish that made it into the film. You know, that's very funny because I was watching... um, It was Tom Savini on the David Letterman show in the early 80s, and one of the props he brought out was a fake rat that that you could put in your mouth. That's wonderful. What a great invention. (laughs) So maybe he he was prepping that for this? Um, Some of the other changes from the original script we talked about as we were going, the prowler throwing the snake in the window, uh, Jack almost getting electrocuted. Um, At one point in the script, Ned refers to Brenda as a wily oriental, which I think has an implication for an original casting decision that was also neglected. (laughs) Ned fakes choking, not drowning. There was a second piece of graffiti in that bathroom stall that said, The Yellow Stream by IP Daily. And there's no hospital scene at the end of the movie. So those are the major changes from the script to the feature film, the way it ended up. Um, The director, Sean S. Cunningham, uh, he stepped away after the first film to produce the uh, first, second, and fourth House movies. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, I love House 2, the second story. I've only seen the first one, but I was reading about the second one, and I I thought it was funny that, because in the first one, his neighbor is Norm Peterson, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then in the second one, Cliff is his neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> like well, he's not just... a neighbor, but he's uh, he's an exterminator, right? But it's just funny that he had another Cheers character come on yeah. to replace him. I feel like you would love House too. Yeah, I, I like House a lot, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, House Two is is more of a comedy than uh... is William Cat in all four of them? No, no. Okay, is he just in the first two? Wait, uh, is William Cat the main person from the original? Yeah. He's not in the second one either. Oh, is he not? Who's no. the main guy in the second one? I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's an 80s actor that you would recognize. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's a completely different story, different cast. It has nothing to do with the first one. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's no uh, Vietnam flashbacks? and. No, this one's about a guy that uh, his great-great-grandfather was like a cowboy in the old west and there was a crystal skull that uh, him and a (laughs) A crystal skull crystal skull that him and his partner were fighting over and the crystal skull uh, gives eternal life okay Uh, i'm gonna guess this main character according to imdb is jesse uh played by airy gross but you know who else who i love is that's in house too who's that royal dano who okay do you know who that is it sounds familiar well he uh I like him most as the voice of Abraham Lincoln at great moments with Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> okay. We, uh, we had a couple people from House on our MacGyver podcast. Um, the first we, house? Uh, yeah, the first well, house movie. Funnily enough, I was just looking up uh, Ari Gross's movies or credits here, and he was on an episode of MacGyver. Of the reboot? Of the or, reboot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, he was not in you know, the it's funny, original series. Yeah. I've always loved House 2, and uh, my friend David Park, uh, he loves House 2 also, and we'd be talking about it. Even on the podcast, I talk about it sometimes. The whole time, Inthea thought we were talking about House Party. Oh, so okay. She thought I, I thought you were going to say, like, the TV show House. <laughs> But um, what was the woman's name that was in, um, she does the voice of American Maid on The Tick. Oh. She was in, uh, you know, The Last Stand, the airport episode of MacGyver. Uh, I can't think of her name. Blanking on her name. But we interviewed her um, on the podcast. And we also interviewed Michael Ensign from Ghostbusters. um, Who Who plays. Who's he in Ghostbusters? 
Uh, he's the the hotel manager who's like five thousand dollars. I had no idea it'd be <laughs> K- so much. I won't K-Lens. pay. K Lens. So how'd you get how'd you get these people? Uh, just IMDb Pro, just reaching out and saying, hey, we have this podcast. We oh. talk about old MacGyver episodes, and we'd love to hear if you remember anything from them. Don't so. give away this That's secret great. sauce, man. It's funny, the people that you will get back to you, and you're just like, oh, I didn't expect this person to call me back. But then there's other people where it's like, when I when I got on the phone with Terry Hatcher's manager, and as soon as I said the word podcast, they just hung up. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even listen. I, know. I remember uh, <laughs> when I was interning at at Universal, doing my monster documentary yeah and um i gave a letter to like dreamworks to give to steven spielberg <laughs> like i talked to steven spielberg's assistant and they were very nice about it but of course i didn't get a response sure <laughs> it was like steven spielberg's gonna do a college kids documentary i think the biggest name that we had was probably rob paulson yeah i don't know who that is um he's the voice of yakko warner and a lot of other people Raphael on the original ninja turtles and hmm. um he he's a lot of Disney characters too. Huh. Very uh, nice. What's a Toodles on the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? He is, yeah. <laughs> After they gave the character a voice. Yeah. But yeah, uh, back to Sean Cunningham. Uh, he did come back to the Friday series to produce Jason Goes to Hell, and he also directed a chase scene in the first Nightmare on Elm Street film, uncredited. Oh. Which scene? Do you know? A chase scene. Okay. That's all it says. <laughs> it says literally director a chase scene on credit. So he directed Jason Goes to Hell? He produced. Oh, produced. Okay. That's yeah. uh, the worst one, I think. Um, well, I don't know if I've actually seen that one. Jason's not even in it, really. Yeah. So it's like the fifth one. Kind of. Well, this one, do you care about spoilers? Uh, not particularly. Okay. Well, uh, in this movie, um, Jason is dead. And they are performing an, an autopsy and people kind of get possessed by his spirit and they eat his heart and his organs and people keep uh, passing on the Jason spirit. Is that why they <laughs> had to clone him for Jason X to work? Maybe. I don't know. Um, writer Victor Miller, uh, basically after this transition to soaps, he wrote for All My Children, Another World, General Hospital, Guiding Light, One Life to Live. Um, lots of episodes of each show. Um, the other writer on the script that I have that added the cop scene was Ron Kurtz. Uh, he's listed on IMDb as an uncredited writer, but uh, he wrote Friday Part 2 and a lot of non-canon Friday the 13th shorts recently, probably like a web series or something where they're like, huh. you're connected to the franchise, you have a credit on the first movie, you then <laughs> this will all be considered canon by someone who's not paying attention. Um, the composer here was uh, Harry Manfredini. To, great, great score yeah of course he has lots of sequel credits for this because you can't make a friday the 13th movie without the i like how you know that fact so now you always do it that way I do it right i'm not gonna say ever again that was the last time <laughs> okay. swearing it off um he was also the composer for the house film series oh. um he is house comp- two the second story for the whole the whole set i love that score. they reused the score for all four films i think really yeah because it was one credit for the score and then it got reused over the course of the series he also did the credits of 12 of david dakota's 1313 movies oh excellent uh which if you're not familiar are extremely cheaply produced films that are shot usually over a weekend often in the same house yeah (laughs) that we looked up the price to rent is like four thousand dollars for a weekend or something like that (laughs) 
Um, we were going to go there and just watch all the 1313 movies. They were all on Netflix at one point, right? Yeah, yeah. They were, the, but I don't know about it anymore. It's literally just an hour and a half of a person walking around a house going, hello? Hello? And then <laughs> yeah. getting killed. <laughs> Every single time. All the different movies were the same. He also, uh, Manfredini did the score for A Talking Cat. Yeah, but that's also that's a Dakota, which is Dakota. a Dakota film. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying but that one we've I, seen. I don't. It's not just the thirteen thirteen movies, though. I'm saying right, he also right, right. did a Talking Cat and the less celebrated oh. a Talking Pony. I thought a Talking Cat was one of the thirteen thirteen movies. It doesn't have thirteen thirteen on the title. I mean, oh, I see. Oh. A Talking Pony is the is the exact same story as a Talking Cat, but with a Talking Pony, and they didn't have Eric Roberts drunkenly slurring <laughs> all of the cat's lines so they got the dad from a talking cat to be the voice of the pony um so yeah that happened betsy palmer played mrs Voorhees. Uh, this was her first feature film appearance since 1959 um after she killed those counselors she can lay low for a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> she has a credit for the sequel but i'm pretty sure that's archival footage because um, I know her head is wrapped up in the so. fridge very early in the second <laughs> yeah. movie. Um, you know, it's funny with Betsy Palmer. Uh, she was very, very popular on game shows of the 1950s and 60s. Like, I watched lots of old episodes of, um, you know, Password. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I've Got a Secret. And she's always on the panel. That's weird. It's like, there's a young Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian King was Alice here. Uh, she comes back for the sequel is unceremoniously killed, and a lot of people were very upset about it. She wanted to be killed. Yes. Because or do you want to get into that? Or uh, you can. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, I I believe the story is she had a stalker uh, after Friday the Thirteenth and didn't want to be involved with it any longer. Oh, okay. It seems like you could just write that character out of the series if you yeah. wanted to. Like, you need some connective tissue, I guess. Um, well, it, I guess it was for closure for the stalker. It's like, oh, she like, fine. Oh, she must <laughs> be dead. <laughs> she Somebody smiled. beat me to it. Um, she recently appeared as the voice in Silent Night, Bloody Night, The Homecoming, which I'm assuming is like a voice over the phone or something. Is that uh, different than Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yes. Uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night, the original Silent Night, Bloody Night, actually came out even before 1980. And really? Silent Night, Deadly Night didn't come out until 1984. Right. Yeah. I Which love actually, Silent Night, Deadly Night. There's actually <laughs> that would have been a better title for To All a Good Night, because there's actually a person wearing a medieval armor in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so if you called it Silent Night, Deadly Night, because the person's standing very silently for most of a scene and then pulls out a crossbow and shoots someone through the back of the head. But Bloody Night would have been even better because bloody is an English term. There you go. <laughs> um, she uh, Alice used to actually host tours at the campsite where the film was shot. Um, really. Yeah, Robbie Morgan, we discussed before, it was Annie. She was at the screening, and we've talked about her a bunch already. She talked a lot about the screening, about being in the movie, What's the Matter with Helen? Yes, which, uh, I, when she was much younger. Yeah, I don't I, I don't remember the movie very well, but I remember my grandma and my uncle always talked about that movie growing up. They loved it. It was so, 1970, right? She said it was like a decade 71, earlier. 71, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Kevin Bacon is Jack here. Uh, this was his second film after uh, first appearing in Animal House. Uh, he was Valentine McKee in Tremors. He plays another Jack in another 13 movie, Apollo 13. Wasn't there something on IMDb about how many characters he's, he's played, played in like Jack? nine different Jacks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he also played Jacques in Super. <laughs> um, speaking of Siskel and Ebert spoiling movies for people. And he recently did a TV movie to kick off a Tremors series reboot that 
didn't get picked up and i don't think the tv movie ever even aired but they shot a tv movie that was supposed to be like the impetus for a series that never happened (laughs) harry crosby was bill um this was his first and second to last film credit uh, before playing cute rocker in Hollow Venus Diary of a Go-Go Dancer. <laughs> he is the son of Bing Crosby. Oh, dear. Um, and likely victim of uh, bags of oranges <laughs> over the course of his life. They don't leave bruises. And then it, it's funny because... Uh... <laughs> Beating children with oranges is funny because... No, I want to hear the rest of this sentence. <laughs> no, uh, him being the son of Bing Crosby, uh, people thought that he was hired because of that not only being the son of Bing Crosby, but also connecting As a again to Halloween. to Halloween, since Jamie Lee Curtis is the star of a big celebrity, Janet Lee. They, but apparently the makers of Friday the 13th uh, didn't promote that or didn't even realize they should promote that. Yeah. And he also is not a huge part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like if they'd made him the main character or something, then it would have made more sense. But yeah. it's weird to say that he's the selling point. By the way, uh, Betsy Palmer. Yep. She got top billing like on the posters and stuff, I think. But yeah, sure. and in the credits, she's like the last name. But if you're going to a movie and you know Betsy Palmer's going to be in it and she's not in it, isn't it obvious she's going to be the killer? Yes. What if she's the one who saves the day? Uh, I don't know. I feel like when you have a big name in a movie and she was, you know, she used to be big. Yeah. It's obvious that she's going to be the killer. Do you think it would have been better to introduce her earlier in the film? Or would that have been spoilery? I don't think it would have mattered. I think it still would have been obvious. What if she had been the bartender at the diner in the beginning? I don't know. Maybe you... I guess you... If if we did see her in the beginning, I could see her possibly end up being the hero saving everyone. Yeah. I I think that could have been an option to go with for that. Um, Lori Bartram was Brenda. That's the girl who gets killed on the archery range. This was her last film because they killed her for this movie. Uh, no, she died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 49 in 2007. Yeah. Rex Everhart was the truck driver. Uh, he plays the desk sergeant in Superman, and he's the voice of Maurice in Beauty and the Beast. Crazy old Maurice. Hmm? Crazy old Maurice. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. I actually think he's the best actor in the movie. I love his scene. Yeah? yeah. I think I he's know. just authentically a creepy man because yeah. he's grabbing her ass. Crazy old Maurice. <laughs> Crazy old Maurice. Hmm. Uh, Walt Gorney was Crazy Ralph. Why not just go with Walt Gorney? Why'd you change his name? <laughs> not crazy enough. Crazy, not crazy old Ralph. enough for you, boy. Uh, he reprises the role of Crazy Ralph in part two, and he returned to the franchise to narrate the opening of part seven. He also plays Duke Domestic in Trading Places. Ari Lehman was Jason here. Uh, this was his second feature. Nothing between this and 2006. Um, and then he did a bunch of cool stuff. I wrote down my favorite titles. Hellophone. <laughs> Pi Day, Die Day. Oh, I want to see that. And The Leaf Blower Massacre 2. <laughs> he was an actor in them? Uh, no, he just came up with the titles. Yeah, no, I think he was. <laughs> he's in all those. He's a really great pun person. <laughs> um, Noel Cunningham. Uh, played a boy in the 1958 camping circle, uncredited. Uh-huh. He is the son of director Sean. Um, he, is he the one that gets killed? Um, I don't know, actually. I no, because I think that boy had a name. Okay. Um, but he 
Sean wanted him to play young Jason, and uh, his wife was like, "No, you're not going to do that." Uh, so that oh, that, that kid is probably so yeah, upset. He's at so his mad mom. at his mom. <laughs> I could have been Jason. Um, he would have made a ton of money signing at conventions. Just he, doing well, that. I'm sure he does anyway. Um, he also went on to work in editorial on Jason Goes to Hell, and he uh, co-produced Jason X. Erwin hmm. Keyes yeah. <laughs> shows up as a busboy in the diner at the beginning of the film. I don't think he even has a single line. He doesn't have this line, but I recognized him immediately. Yeah. He played Jacques in Private Eyes, the hunchback character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we covered his credits pretty recently. Uh, Tom Savini is uncredited as Man the Knife Killer. I don't know what that means, but... When we see pieces of Mrs. Voorhees walking around, uh, we just see her feet or her arms. Usually it was Tom Savini's assistant. Yeah. But I think they're saying there's a particular shot where it was his hand yeah. with holding the knife. Yeah. I, was, but, I told you there was a couple shots. Where I'm like, those are man hands. Well, yeah, but the, just but, the wording of man the knife killer <laughs> is a weird choice. Is that on IMDb? Yeah. I, this is copied and pasted directly into my notes. Um you know what I thought was good, though? Like, I, I thought that, too. It looks like man hands. But I like that they kept the detail in of the big ring on the finger. because I And I noticed Mrs. Voorhees had that same ring. Yeah. I like that. Tom Savini, obviously, very well-celebrated makeup artist, specifically for, like, zombie and slasher movies, a lot yeah. of horror and sci-fi. Well, he got huge from uh, Dawn of the Dead from 1978. And, and this. It was yeah. a kind of a combination of But they wanted the him for this because of Dawn of the Dead. Right. Yeah. Um, he was inspired initially by the Man of a Thousand Faces, and uh, and uh, also from having gone to Vietnam and seeing like some messed up stuff in person. Yeah, and uh, he became the go-to expert for that kind of gore. And he's uh, an actor in a ton of things too. That's true. Yeah, and he's worked with George Romero and Robert Rodriguez on a bunch of stuff um, on both sides as makeup and as characters. Yeah, um, he appears on screen as the head of the biker gang in Dawn of the Dead, and as Sex Machine who is another biker in From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, he also appeared as Mr. Callahan in Perks of Being a Wallflower, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. I think he's in a Grindhouse also, Planet Terror maybe. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, Robert Rodriguez again. Yeah. Well, the only thing I wanted to mention also was after we saw the movie, I wanted to do a little bit of research. So I pulled up my... Uh, collection of famous monsters of Filmline magazine which is my favorite monster magazine and they had an issue from may 1980 when did this come out again may 1980 may, may 1980 and it has the synopsis of the entire movie in it it gives away who the killer is like at the end of at the end of the thing it says um you know you're welcome what's well, it says uh it it gives the story of the movie. It'll say, suddenly, a hideous, deformed child, Mrs. Voorhees' son, Jason, reaches up from the depths. His clammy hands reach around her neck and... But we shouldn't really tell you anymore. You just told us everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's basically how Gene Siskel's review of the movie started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, and that was that posted on the day that the movie yeah. came out. But what's funny also is the cover of that issue of Famous Monsters was the... Deformed kid wrapping his arm around her neck. It was the, a close-up of the deformed kid. Uh, so you know it's going to be in the movie somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting choice. I always find it funny when you go back to look at materials from when the movie came out and how... How they marketed sp- it. Yeah, and how spoilery everything is. Yeah. Like, um, it was. It's funny because people say that about trailers now. They're like, oh, trailers now just give away the whole movie. And it's like, I kind of always did that. 
Oh yeah, a little bit. Every monster movie trailer has what how the main monster dies in the trailer. Yeah. Why don't we get into our ups or downs here, Jess? What do you think? Up or down on oh, this one? Oh, it's definite up. Yeah, for sure. Up from what? Up, as in you would recommend it or you would not recommend okay. it. Up. Uh, <laughs> I recommend it. Richard. Uh, as a down. Yeah, that's oh. what I thought. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of horror films, and this film did, didn't do anything for me. I do appreciate, obviously, what it does for pop culture, and that it was the beginning of this a whole bunch of other movies. But uh-huh. <laughs> while I recommend it, I will say it's not one of my favorite horror movies. No. Like, there's so much better things to watch. Friday the 13th, as I told you, is my least favorite series out of the big horror the guy three. series. And for Friday the 13th movies, the first one isn't even my favorite. That's Freddy versus Jason. Right. Then probably Friday the 13th 3D. <laughs> is that the third one, I'm yeah, assuming? Yeah. yeah. And then probably With Corey this Feldman one. And- but this one's fun. And, you know, you got to give it some sort of credit for starting the Friday the 13th series because it is such a huge phenomenon or it got to be like seeing a killer in a hockey mask is is almost as popular as like seeing frankenstein walking around yeah but i i also think like uh it's still an up for me but when you hear that the writer and director met on the set of here come the tigers which is (laughs) such a dumb blatant ripoff of bad news bears in terms of just the title and basic premise and then you're like oh this was just meatballs meets halloween and you're like oh yeah they just took a scary day of the year as a title yep. and change it to a different scary day of the year as a title. And it's like, now let me ask you this. Why do you think Friday the 13th took off and not the other ripoffs? Um, it's actually capably written and the performances are pretty good. And it shot really well, actually. And I think Tom Savini's makeup goes a long way. Yeah. The, we had a lot of complaints about the gore in, uh, to all a good night, uh, just in terms of like missed opportunities for severed heads and things like that. Uh-huh. Because someone does get their head cut off, but we never see it after that point. Um, it's just kind of jammed on a shower head, but we wanted blood coming out of it. But, uh, <laughs> and I think also, just sort of by accident, the screenwriter stumbled onto this reversal of Psycho, where instead of the son emulating his dead mother, it's the uh-huh. mother emulating the dead son. Right. And it like there was there's something that that connects with people in the, in that story, and since it hadn't been done in a film that people had seen before this point. I think that it it seemed very original to people. And it's different enough from Halloween that I don't think people were like, oh, that's just the same movie as Halloween. Yeah. So. And it's just a neat title. Yeah. I, yeah, I like the way it looks, too. That's the same yeah. way that their ad and variety look. These big block letters breaking a glass pane. Yeah, wasn't there someone, when they were selling the movie, they were just... They saw that title breaking the glass and they're like, I gotta make this movie? Yes, the people who had produced... Uh, Last House on the Left and a couple other movies for so Sean Cunningham for Cunningham and for Wes Craven okay. um, were like oh you have a new movie coming out we'd like to throw money at you but they had all these conditions like you have to have this you have to have that and they were like no we're going to wait for other investors because you know we just put this ad out and then they didn't get yeah. messages from anybody else so they just settled for uh, more creative control and a significantly lower budget than they were asking for so that they could make this movie and as a result of retaining the rights it turned out really well for everybody yeah letterboxed so i put this movie i think uh i think this one is ninth for the year it's uh just below the fog and just above little miss marker 
above above the fog for the year is Mad Max, The Changeling, My Brilliant Career, Forbidden Zone, The Ninth Configuration, Where the Buffalo Roam, and Little Darlings. Did you say? Oh, okay. You're going counting upward. Okay. Yes, I was counting up. Sorry. Okay. That was confusing me. Um, Robert, looking at the list of what we've covered so far, you decided that three films that you've seen so far? Yes. Uh, uh, besides Friday the 13th, uh, the other ones that I have seen that you guys have covered thus far are The Forbidden Zone and The Fog. The Fog. Uh, I would rank Friday the 13th as my least favorite of the three, even though I still enjoy it. Sure. Uh, the Fog I like more. I, I don't know The Fog that well. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember liking it. And Forbidden Zone I just love. I own it. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, Yeah, we're big fans, except for Richard. Yeah, Richard. You don't like not. it? Uh, <laughs> it's so great in every way I, I, it's, it's on the top of my list right now really yeah it's very high on mine yeah just the way it's shot is just so weird and you'd like gorp then because everyone in that movie is acting like they're in forbidden zone but it's supposed to be real life <laughs> really? for some reason yeah it's very weird is it black and white no it's no. terrible no you would it. hate gorp it's a, it's a, uh, <laughs> no it's horrible, i think he movie. would actually love it you really think so yeah because he loves everything i hate for the most part. <laughs> so you like gorp no, I hated Gorp. I mean, that's what I meant to say. Yes. But you, but you love Forbidden Zone. That's true. But I said you like everything I hate. I didn't say you hate everything I like. Or love. Sure. <laughs> Richard, where's hey. this going? Your letterbox. <laughs> um, this is going to go just above To All Good Night. Okay. I feel that that's fitting. Yeah. Uh, given your, your comparison. Yes, that, that's fair. But I do like it better than that one. What's the number ranking? Uh, I don't it's pretty know. Low. It's real yeah. low. <laughs> Where is it? It's, okay. it's in the bottom half of so have about 39 like, movies. You have like ten, nine or 10 below it. Yeah. Uh, we have a thing that we lovingly call the Windows thresh- Threshold. Yes. Uh, which Windows is a movie that's competently made, but just not great. It's all right. And, and it's just like, uh, well, anything below that is just not worth your it's time. It's like jumping the shark. Yeah. Yeah. It's jumping through the window. But my window's threshold is much lower than your guys's. It actually starts at like, it's the fatso threshold for me. Um, but yeah, um, for me, this movie is going to go between Mad Max and The Fog. So in order from the top, I have Forbidden Zone in first place, Changeling, Ninth Configuration, Little Darlings, Mad Max, this in sixth place right now. Oh, that's pretty high. So, yeah, no, I like this movie. And uh, obviously I love John Carpenter and I love The Fog, but I would rather watch this again than watch The Fog again. So. Yeah. Robert has his own <laughs> podcast. Why don't you tell us about your podcast? I do. I do a podcast with my wife, Inthea, and it's called Pods and Monsters. And it's all about monster movies and horror movies, anything that has a creature in it. And uh, we review, talk about the movies, do fun facts, trivia, all that stuff. It's sort of like this podcast, but a horror-themed podcast. I thought you were going to say better. <laughs> it's a little better. I'm not going to lie. It's probably better. What defines creature? I was just going to ask that. Uh, basically, anything that is a monster. And a monster can be human, or it can be uh, it could be an animal, like uh, Jaws. Is uh, Friday the 13th a monster movie? Yes. Okay. What about the beast from Krull? 
Yes, crawl will be <laughs> crawl will be done. Excellent. In fact, if you listen to the opening of Pots of Monsters, I have the Slayer scream. Nice. Which was also used in, in an American World of London. Well, I think I have dibs as a guest for uh, Big Trouble in Little China and or Tremors, whichever comes first. That's right. Probably Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. And uh, I, I will consider that a monster movie. Someone asked me if, um, this guy asked me if, for Pods of Monsters, if I would do 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Now, there is a giant squid in it. Yeah. But I don't think I would do that one for Pods of Monsters. No? Yeah, I mean, Because it really know. exists? What do you mean? Because squids oh, are real. Because no. the giant squids are real. <laughs> well, I mean, there's giant sharks, and I do Jaws, but uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe if the squid was a bigger more part of, of the a focus of like the movie. Like the villain yeah. of yeah. the movie? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe when I start to run out, that'll come on. Yeah. All right. Well, I, uh, I highly recommend that people check out uh, Robert's podcast if you like horror films or monster films, because I know he's not going to say this, but I think he is an authority on them. <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, and he and his wife are very entertaining. So. It's a great show. Thank you. And you might hear one of us on it at some point. That's so right. that's a reason not to not listen, to maybe. Listen. <laughs> if, <you're>, <laughs> <laughs> if this is your first one and you're not a fan what of What movies us. would you guys want to do if you were on the show? Hmm, that's a good question. I kind of already gave mine away. <laughs> crawl? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember monsters in Crawl. Well, there's the Slayers and then there's the Beast himself. Oh, okay. Yeah, Crawl will definitely be done. All right. Um, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing The Nude Bomb, which IMDb describes like so. Maxwell Smart is recalled to duty to help fight a villain who threatens to detonate a weapon that destroys clothing. We leave you now with the trailer for The Nude Bomb. 36. 22. 34, 86, Maxwell Smart is back. You've heard of the naked gun, but would you believe the nude bomb? Nations of the world, this is chaos. We have in our power a devastating new weapon, rendering the entire world completely new. The fate of the entire world is in your hands. Maxwell Smart is a fool and a bum. You cannot be too careful with your gun. Are you all right? Missed it by that much. Now I have an issue. A stapler telephone? That's fantastic, Carruthers. Can it also be used as a stapler? No. Oh, well, you better work on that. This thing runs on ink? That's fantastic, Carruthers. Why, do you realize that could be the answer to the fuel shortage? I'm afraid not. Special kind of ink comes from Saudi Arabia. I'll be at my piano number in half an hour. If you need me earlier, call me on my jockstrap. But please, just ring once. What did he say? He asked me to take my hand out of his groin. What did he say? He wants you to put your hand in his groin. Only one man has the power the skill, and the charisma to save the world from global nudity. And loving it. 
Don Adams stars in the nude bomb. On video cassette. There are a lot of people out there that would like to see me dead. They're not all out there. 